this morning. I am really excited to introduce Michael Gregory, uh, who's going to be opening God's Word for us this morning. Um, Michael and uh, his wife, I think, spent 10 years uh, in China serving with Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, for the last two years, he's been a church planting apprentice at uh, one of our sister churches in our denomination, The Way, in uh, South Pasadena. And he and his family are preparing this Easter to launch a new uh, church in Alhambra that I think is going to be a, uh, the hope is that it's going to be a multiracial, multiethnic church um, serving in the San Gabriel Valley. So it's exciting to be, one of the great things I think about being a part of a denomination is that we have partners in ministry um, all over the place. And getting uh, to have Michael open up God's word and be with us uh, this morning is just a, uh, a little a taste of what that means, that we have partners in ministry who are planting churches uh, in L.A. and different places around the world. Uh, Michael and his wife have three kids, five, three, and nine days old. And even though he has a nine-day-old, he still agreed to continue in our series through Hebrews uh, and take the next passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for being here with us. Good morning. I'm glad he said Hebrews 9 because I was like, oh, did I just have like a complete baby brain freeze? And we're in Hebrews 11 today. Um, but I did, it was really good uh, to be here uh, with you. Like Bryce said, my name is Michael and a uh, pastor at a very small church plant um, in San Gabriel Valley. And uh, it's just a privilege to, to be able to open up and uh, be with you again in the book of Hebrews. This is just an incredible book. I've uh, loved Mostly uh, preparing this has also been just super convicting as well, because um, this chapter here, Hebrews chapter nine, um, really looks at this question that I think anyone who's ever picked up a Bible, anyone who's ever explored Christianity, uh, they've probably had this question, and that is, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Is Jesus his sacrifice, his life, his death? On the cross, his resurrection is Jesus enough. So Bryce has said throughout uh, this series in Hebrews that uh, that Jesus is better, right? He's better than angels. He's better than the prophet Moses. He's better than the Aaronic priesthood. He is better than anything and everything that came before him. And in this passage this morning, we see a lot of things that are lacking, right? We see a system that is in need of something better to complete it or to fulfill it. Uh, we see that our own conscience is lacking. And something is needed with the power to set these things right, right to fill up what is lacking. Uh, so if you're able, would you stand with me as we read this morning excerpts from Hebrews chapter 9. So we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 11 through 14. And we'll finish up with verses 24 through 28. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared at the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For Christ has entered, not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father God, we all come here this morning in need of the same thing, and that is to encounter the living God. So would you, by your spirit and through your word, speak with that which is true, uh, that which is of you, sink deep into our hearts. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ this morning as we open your word to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so my wife, uh, you have to see, uh, my wife and I have lived in L.A. for two years now, and we moved here to join this church uh, in the San Gabriel Valley called The Way, uh, which sounds like a bad 70s cult, but it is, as Bryce said, one of our sister churches here. And, uh, and so the plan was for me to serve there for a few years, and then I would be sent out to help plan another church. And so this was, was kind of a big move uh, in a couple different ways for our family uh, to come to Los Angeles. Uh, it was actually a new country for us, right? So we'd spent, uh, like Bryce said, about 10 years in China. Uh, and so that was a big jump, right? It's a different, literally different country, um, a different culture, uh, different language. Like we got to speak English uh, all day instead of Mandarin. Um, it was a new job, right? And so China, especially uh, the city that we were living in in China, and Los Angeles, like I don't think you could find two cities that were more different from each other. And just to give you a couple of examples, uh, so in China, I could go down the street and I could order a bowl of locally sourced, handcrafted artisanal noodles that would cost me about 50 cents. Right? And those were delicious. And those same noodles in L.A. now cost me $14. Uh, when I would go to take my computer uh, to get a software program put on in China, I would take it to what may or may not be a legit Apple store and, uh, and walk in. I think it was Photoshop I was trying to get this one time. And so um, it's like, yeah, we got that. We got that. And so takes my computer, puts Photoshop back on. I'm like, all right, how much do I owe you? He's like, oh, it's free. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he opens up this uh, it's like Rolodex of CDs with, with software on it. He's like, what else do you want? And I was like, okay, so I can't really buy legit software in China. Like, it just, things work differently in different countries, right? Um, so maybe every expat's favorite website in China is a site called Taobao. I don't know if you've heard of this, but Taobao is kind of like the Chinese version of Amazon and eBay uh, rolled into one. And 
you can find literally anything on Taobao, right? Like if you see those videos of people jumping out of helicopters with those squirrel suits, like you can buy that. I don't know why you would trust that, but you can buy that on Taobao. And the only problem was there was about a 97% chance that what you were buying was just a complete fake, all right? It was a copy of the real thing that you were looking for, sometimes like a really bad copy of the thing you were looking for, hoping to find. So you could find that vintage 1980s NFL jersey of your favorite player, um, and instead of it costing you $60, it would cost you, or 160 it would cost you like $4, right? But you knew up front that what you were getting was really just a cheap imitation of what it was that you were really looking for. Uh, it could last a week, it could last a couple weeks, but that copy really only served to point you towards the real thing that you really wanted. And you knew that it was going to be lacking in some way. It was not going to hold up. It would need replacing or it would need repurchasing over and over. And what Hebrews 9 is telling us is that we are all in desperate search for. We are all in desperate need of the real thing. It's not just going to last for a week until the seams burst that you have to repurchase every year that the copy of software that comes preloaded with viruses to infect your computer. We're looking for something that has real power, to power to make us right, to justify us for our existence. Something with power to once and for all reconcile us to a God that we are alienated from because we've chosen things over and above him, what the Bible calls sin. We're searching for something or someone with the power to uh, really deal with our conscious, conscience that seeks to condemn us every second of every day. Because each and every one of us have devised some way of dealing with our conscience, right? We have something we run to to justify our actions or to soothe our guilty conscience, our feeling or the awareness that we're not good enough. And what this passage gives us is actually an answer to how we break that cycle of just feeling guilty or anxious about how we're not measuring up to the standards of others or the standards that maybe we've set for ourselves. Whatever it is that we run to uh, to make that feeling of inadequacy dissipate. Hebrews 9 uh, gives us an assurance that we can know that we're reconciled, that we are brought back into a right relationship with the God who made us so that we no longer have to wonder, am I good enough? Are my methods of self-justification or is my faith good enough? And so first, this passage, I guess it begs the question, like, do we actually have a conscience problem? Verse 9 says, according to this arrangement, so that is the entire sacrificial system of the priests offering the blood of animals to deal with the sins of Israel. Verse 9 says, those sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with the body. So maybe in our enlightened, postmodern, post-postmodern culture, maybe we balk at the assumption that we have a conscience problem that needs to be dealt with. Right, if, if you yourself are the highest authority that you appeal to, then maybe whatever you decide for yourself is good and right. Like you can decide if you've actually committed offenses to an, an individual or God. So this is actually uh, one of the first questions that I'll get around to asking someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus, and they're asking me questions about Jesus. Uh, like when they ask me, why, why Jesus? Like why is he the only way to God and to salvation? And so oftentimes in response to questions like that, I'll ask a question of my own, uh, something along the lines of, like, have you ever felt guilty before? Like has your conscience ever dinged you? 
Have you ever felt remorse for how you treated someone? Or have you ever felt like your actions have put you in a bad standing with a friend or maybe even a complete stranger? And has that ever eaten at you? You know what, I've, I've actually never had anyone tell me no. No one's ever responded to that question, not me. Like, I've never felt bad, never felt guilty about anything in my life. Like, of course, we've all felt that at some point, right? We've all felt guilt. Uh, an article came out a few months ago in the LA Times that had a title, title that had grabbed my attention. Karen Kaplan wrote a piece entitled, It's Not Just You, We're All Living in the United States of Anxiety. She says that according to a recent survey from the American Psychiatric Association, 39% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did a year ago. And I compare that to only 19% of Americans who feel less anxious now than at this point a year ago. And what is one of the major sources of anxiety that 20% of respondents felt extremely anxious about? It's relationships. Relationships with family and friends and coworkers, and so I'm willing to, to bet we, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, right? So people have been around family uh, for the week, and some of that is stressful, I know. Um, but I bet that everyone in this room has at least one relationship they can point to, and maybe the overriding narrative of that relationship sounds something like, not good enough. Not good enough. Maybe it was from a parent whose standards you never quite measured up to you. Maybe it's a marriage if that was going to be more satisfying, or maybe it's the lack of an intimate relationship in your life. But the point is that regardless of the source of your anxiety, we've all been there. We've all felt that we haven't measured up, or that someone uh, that we love and depend on hasn't measured up either to our own standards um, or the standards that others have placed on us. So this is verses 1 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 9. It's a quick summary of the Old Testament book of Leviticus that highlights our standing before the God of the universe apart from Jesus Christ. And that summary actually is not good enough. That's the truth that every single one of us is in need of cleansing. It is not just a small problem or an inconvenient annoyance when our conscience starts to nag at us. And you know what that voice sounds like. It sounds different to different people. Maybe it's like, hey, should you really be spending an hour of the shareholder's time trying to come up with the perfect fantasy football trade at work? Or maybe it's, shouldn't you be spending more time at home rather than working 18 hours a day? However minor or however seriously our conscience nags at us, that twinge every one of us has felt before is telling us something that's actually very true about our actual state. And that is that our dirtiness, our uncleanness, has to be dealt with because it's separating us from a clean and pure and holy God. This is what the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament that we see in the book of Leviticus is emphasizing. It's the fact that we, all of us, need forgiveness for our offenses to a perfectly holy and righteous God. In the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, we see that this tent or this tabernacle that was erected to hold God's glory, his Shekinah glory. And you couldn't just walk into the tabernacle to worship like we all just casually walked into church today. In fact, unless you were a priest, you're only allowed to hang out in the courtyard. And to even be allowed in the courtyard, you had to meet this list of requirements. So a lot of, a lot of external things had to be right about you. 
And so priests would regularly go into the first section we read about called the holy place to perform all the ritual duties. But verses 6 through 10 tell us about the section behind the holy place called the most holy place. This is a place that only the high priest would enter, and he would only do that on uh, once a year, on Yom Kippur, or on the Day of Atonement. And so now I want you to just use your imagination for a little bit. Right, so you can close your eyes if that helps, but I want you to imagine uh, that you're a Jew living in the East, all right, maybe a thousand years before Jesus shows up. All right, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement has come, and you are nervous. Right? It's hot. The sun is scorching. And your mouth is dry, partly from the intense heat, but also partly from just how nervous you are. You can feel the anticipation in the air as the high priest is getting ready to go into the most holy place to offer sacrifices for the sins of Israel, for your sins. And the high priest has been in isolation for a week. He's praying. He's trying to get himself ready to walk into the very presence of God. And that morning he's bathed. He's been clothed in just these immaculate, special priestly garments. He's aware of all the things that could disqualify him outwardly to be in the presence of God. And so he's made sure there's no dirt, there's no excrement, there's just there's nothing on his garments, there's no filth. Uh, he looks perfect. Uh, but just to be sure, uh, his friends have, uh, have tied a rope around his waist. So that as he goes in to the most holy place, if there's something that he missed and he offends his holy God and he's struck dead, they, his friends can drag out his corpse with that rope. What if that does happen? What if the high priest isn't able to offer a blood sacrifice on behalf of Israel this year and the weight of that hangs over your head for another year? Are we going to be Okay. Everyone around you is thinking, including yourself, is this good enough, you think to yourself? Will I measure up? And as you're wondering this to yourself, your very position where you're located, standing in the outer courtyard, hoping that someone can perform a miracle on your behalf, tells you, no, you are unclean. You are not able to stand in the presence of God. As you're thinking this, uh, you see two goats being led into the tent. Two goats, one of which is about to be sacrificed on your behalf and one that is about to be released into the wilderness. And then you really start to think, is the blood of that one goat really going to be enough to make me right with God? Is that one goat going to take care of the guilt and the anxiety that is eating away at me? Because I've seen this before. I saw it last year and I saw it the year before that and I saw it the year before that. And chances are, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be standing right here in the blistering heat again this time next year, hoping that next year's goat has more power than all of the other goats that came before it. All right, so you can open your eyes now. Uh, does this sound a little bit to you like a copy of the real thing? Like maybe that goat is just a copy of the super goat that will hopefully show up next year and has the power to really deal with my sin. Does this whole ritual sound like something that has to be repeated or repurchased over and over because it's lacking? Does it sound like something that is really only pointing us to the need for something greater with actual power? Because there's something about the blood and the sacrifice, the need for a death. Because your conscience is regularly telling you, you're not good enough. And my own efforts to make myself right are not good enough. 
Like, do you feel the need for something that is completely outside of you to make you clean? And verse 22 of Hebrews 9 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the blood of bulls and goats will only get you so far and for so long. And so this entire sacrificial system, the pains the author of Leviticus and Hebrews goes through to show you just how holy God is and just how unholy we are and how unable we are to make ourselves holy is what makes the rest of Hebrews chapter 9 so incredibly beautiful. And so what is good enough? What, what is the real thing? And not merely a copy of the good thing that can bring us into a right relationship with God. What can actually cleanse our conscience? That can clean us all the way on the inside and not just cleans us up on the outside. The bad news is that there is something separating you from God. Our sin, that is our choosing other things over and above God, have separated us from him. In the temple, there was a literal curtain separated, separating the most holy place uh, where God's glory dwelt from the rest of the temple and the worshipers because God can't mix with that which is so contrary to his nature. Uh, there's a separation from his holiness and our uncleanness. And something has to happen to reconcile a holy God to his people. And the blood of animals just doesn't have what it takes because they are nowhere close to the kind of sacrifice that is ultimately holy and for what is ultimately unholy. Like that curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place, our access to God is blocked and we are shut out because our very nature is bent away from him and we by nature love what is contrary to God. All right, so that's the bad news, okay? But here's the good news starting in verse 11. But... Wherever you see that word, but, especially when it's followed by Jesus or Christ, uh, pay attention because what, chances are like what is going to follow after that is just life-changing good news. So this is verses 11 and 12. But when Christ came as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Like we needed someone who could enter where we could not enter. Someone who could give us access to the Father that we so desperately need. We needed a better priest. We needed a better sacrifice. Not mere copies of the real thing, but someone, a person, with the power to provide the type of sacrifice that actually would last. That was sufficient to deal with our sin that clings so tightly and separates us from our Creator. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I watched The Incredibles 2 with my family. Uh, I won't spoil anything for those who haven't seen it, uh, but there is a scene with baby Jack-Jack that I love. Uh, and if you've seen either the first or the second Incredibles movie, you know about Edna, right? The eccentric designer who provides the Incredibles with their super suits. Uh, and, and normally when she is demonstrating the qualities of these suits that she's made, uh, she takes the suits and she puts them on a mannequin and then she puts the mannequin into a chamber where she fires missiles at them and sets them on fire and shoots them. And and the chamber is this environment that no one, like not even a superhero, could survive. But then there's Jack-Jack. And when Edna goes to show Jack-Jack's father, Mr. Incredible, the qualities of the super suit that she's made for Jack-Jack, Mr. Incredible is horrified uh, when Edna puts not a mannequin, not a copy of Jack-Jack, but takes Jack-Jack himself, puts him in the chamber to display the qualities of the super suit. And in fearful disbelief, Mr. Incredible mumbles, 
you're putting him in the... And then Edna just cuts him off and says, he's part of the demonstration, he will be fine. And see, it turns out that Jack-Jack is not your average superhero. But Jack-Jack is able to enter the chamber that is death for everyone else. At the place where no one else could stand. The place that would mean instant death for anyone other than Jack-Jack because they're not good enough. Right? They're not strong enough. Only Jack-Jack has the power to enter the place that for anyone else would mean death. And time and time again, Jack-Jack, as only Jack-Jack could, acts as this protection, this covering for his family. And here's where I'm going to try to stop comparing Jack-Jack and his power to the atoning power of Christ. All right? Uh, See, only Christ is the one who could enter the most holy place. Every other priest before him and every sacrifice before him was just this copy of the real thing that was actually pointing to Jesus. Only his sacrificial death on the cross had the power to truly forgive sins and not just deal superficially with the external, but has the power to purify us on the inside as well. Because Jesus is fully man, he's able to act as our representative before God. He's able to stand in for the human race because he's fully human. But he's also fully divine. And because Jesus is fully man, he can bear the judgment and the penalty of our sins. Because he's fully God, he has the power to deal with them. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that is, what's on the outside, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience, right? That's the internal, that's the heart, from dead works to serve the living God. All the bulls and all the goats in the world uh, can only serve to make you ceremonially unclean or clean. And you could approach, but not get too close to the presence of God. And year after year, the same sacrifice would be made again and again because the people sinned again and again. But Jesus, but Jesus shows up as our perfect representative, as our perfect high priest, as our perfect sacrifice, as someone who never sinned, someone who perfectly obeyed his father, someone whom the father was perfectly pleased with, someone whom the father looked down on and said, well done, good and faithful servant. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the price of access to God's presence to the most holy place was death. It did take blood. And all the blood from all the goats didn't get you any closer to God's presence. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, wanted to give you access to God the Father so badly that he said, I'll shed my blood. I'll give my perfect life so that through my sacrifice, I will rip into that curtain, that barrier that is separating man from God. And this is literally what happens when Christ was crucified. We read about it in Matthew 27, uh, verse 51, that immediately after Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, giving you and me access to the Father. That access into the very presence of God is now available to you and me if we would put our trust in Jesus. That access cost Jesus everything. He left heaven, his perfect relationship with God the Father and Holy Spirit. He gave up his position. He gave up his riches. He set aside his glory to make you whole, to cleanse you from everything that was separating you from him, to to give you life, to bring you into his family as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. It was his life for yours. On the cross, Jesus took the full penalty for all the ways that you offended God, who was completely holy, 
He switched your sin for his righteousness. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. And here maybe, uh, maybe for a follower of Jesus, you might be thinking, yeah, but I still feel pretty distant from God at times. Uh, I'm aware of my sin and it grieves me. And how in the world can God see all of my yuck and all of my filth that I'm aware of? How can he see all of that? How can he still love me? How do I really know that I am now presentable and that enough has been done for me to be forgiven and brought into relationship with God? We've looked at how, how immaculate the high priest had to be externally for him to be able to enter into the most holy place into God's presence. Like blood had to be spilled over and over, and ceremonies and rituals had to be performed over and over because we're unclean. And Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever lived a perfectly clean, a perfectly sinless life. Uh, if anyone ever deserved the perfect love of God the Father, it was Jesus because he was perfectly obedient. And so Jesus could have rightfully avoided just everything that is unclean. And that includes you, and that includes me. But what do we see Jesus do? We see him actually move towards and actually touch the unclean. And in Matthew chapter 8, a leper uh, comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so to be sure, uh, Jesus, he could have just kept his distance and sort of by the power of his word said, yep, you're good. Go be clean, be healed. But what does Jesus do? He actually moves towards the unclean and he stretches out his hand and he actually touches him. He says, be clean. If this should have made Jesus ceremonially unclean, uh, it could have very well transferred death to Jesus by Jesus touching him, a man with leprosy. But Jesus, right? but Jesus takes that which is unclean and that which is death, and he makes it clean, and he gives it life. Yeah, but uh, Michael, I still feel my sin. Like, how, how do I know that I've been made clean? And do you actually, do you know where Jesus was crucified? Like, they let him outside of the city gates so he wouldn't get that filth in the city. They let him out and they crucified him on a garbage heap. It was a literal dump. Like all the things that would make you ceremonially unclean, that would prevent you from approaching God in the temple courtyard, all of that excrement, the filth, and the trash, that was what they crucified Jesus on. And as he was getting led to the dump, People are spitting on him. And they're just heaping onto him that which would make anyone else unclean. But Jesus. But Jesus shed his own blood in the dump. And through his death, Christ ripped apart the wall that was dividing you from God. Your conscience that sought to condemn you, and you are now free to enter into his presence. And Jesus' work, his work, to make you right, as we sang about, it is finished. And this sacrifice wasn't a mere copy of a sacrifice that was pointing you towards your need for a greater and more perfect sacrifice for your sin. His sacrifice for you is perfect, and it never needs repeating. He doesn't have to keep finding ways to cover for you. He's not up there waiting for you to blow it again, saying, ah, I better go kill another bull for Frank so he'll be acceptable. Right? No, Christ is the better sacrifice. A sacrifice that never has to be repeated. A sacrifice that doesn't lack in any way. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He isn't restricted to a once-a-year entry into the presence of God. Christ is now and forever 
in the presence of the Father perfectly. And do you know what Jesus right now at this moment is doing for you? He's praying for you, right? You saw this a couple weeks ago in Hebrews 7, that Jesus now lives to make intercession for you. Jesus, the better high priest, who is right now praying before the Father on your behalf every moment without ceasing. And this is why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me those who are weighed down with a guilty conscience and are laboring to make themselves clean. If you will come to me, I will give you rest. I'm gentle and in me you will find rest for your souls. How can Jesus say that? It's because he's the one who's done the work. And his work measures up to the standards of Almighty God. Jesus has already fulfilled all the painful requirements that you and I can never do to make us able to stand before a holy God. You could spend every moment of your life serving the poor and giving away your money and feeding the hungry, and you will never accumulate enough good points to make the God of the universe look down on you and say, well done. The only person worthy of receiving that from the Father is Jesus. And because Jesus switched with you, because he got your sin, you got his righteousness, his perfect standing before the Father, when God looks at you now, he sees Jesus. So because of Jesus and because of him only, when the Father now looks at you, he does say, well done, good and faithful servant. He delights in you. He thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you are the most precious thing in the world. And the price tag to transform you into such a creature, it was the blood of the perfect sacrifice. It was God's son, Jesus Christ. And God looked at you. He saw what it was going to cost him to win you back. And he paid it. Jesus paid every bit of it. So now you don't ever have to wonder, man, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Because friends, Jesus Christ is enough. He's the only effective remedy that we have for sin. And he has united himself to you so much so that whatever is true of him is now true of you. And that includes your standing before the Father. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, the verdict that you are now received is not guilty. You're beloved. You're a cherished son or a cherished daughter of the king. What a simple but difficult application. Rest. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Not get yourself cleaned up so you're presentable to come into church. And once you're here, I'll give you a list of things you didn't even know you had to do to make yourself acceptable. Jesus says, come. Put your trust in the one who is better and the one who lacks nothing and the one who provides everything. Come to me and I'll give you rest that you will find nowhere else. Rest because your sin has been dealt with. You've been washed in the blood of the perfect sacrificial lamb so that when you die and go to be with him or when Jesus returns, verse 28 tells us he won't at that time deal with sin anymore. Because he's already dealt with your sin on the cross. It's in the past. Believers in Jesus, you can read it for yourselves here if you have a Bible in front of you. This is verse 28 of chapter 9. It says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. As I invite you this morning to just rest in that promise in that person, to put your trust in the one who truly is enough. 
Can I pray for us towards that end? Jesus, thank you that you are sufficient. Jesus, you are enough. You paid the price to ransom us back and to make us beloved sons and daughters of the King. Jesus, your life, your work, your sacrifice secures for us life. Uh, We can't buy it. We can't earn it. Jesus, you give it freely. So would you increase our faith this morning? Lord, help us to receive this good news. Let us receive it all over again that you gave your life for ours. And so we are secure and we are united to you forever. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.